Actually, two years after the fire, I was I was playing my life pretty safe, and one of the guys from the fire was riding his bike. He was training for an adventure race, and he got hit by a truck and passed away. And that for me just really reinforced that there's no benefit to playing your life really safe because I thought because I'd been through that fire I'd be immune to further tragedy but now I think if you don't live your life big live it on your terms take risks bet big believe in yourself I don't really know if that's much of a life it's not much of a life for me anyway that's Taria Pitt this week on the Ritual Podcast The Rich Roll Podcast. I want you to imagine yourself running a trail ultramarathon in the beautiful Australian outback. Maybe close your eyes and try to really visualize the experience, unless, of course, you're driving a car or running on a treadmill. Uh, But you're doing your thing. You're enjoying the experience. You're just running along when suddenly, completely out of the blue, you find yourself surrounded by a raging brush fire, completely out of the blue, no notice whatsoever, no escape. You're surrounded by flames on all sides. It's all closing in on you. And this is it, you think. This is how it's all going to end, the irony, the fear, until darkness descends upon you. But you don't die. Instead, you come out of months in a coma to discover seven fingers missing and You can't move because 65% of your body is covered in life-threatening burns. You suffer through 200 operations. You die three times on the operating table. You spend two years in recovery. This is the incredible story of this week's guest, Taria Pitt. And she's an extraordinary woman, a woman who didn't just survive uh, this brush fire against overwhelming odds. She has gone on to defy all expectations to become one of the most admirable, one of the most inspirational people you're ever going to come across, certainly that I've ever come across. Uh, Taria's struggle has been long. It's been hard wrought. But today she finds herself in the role of humanitarian, of athlete, of motivationalist. She's one of Australia's most admired and widely recognized people. Uh, and amongst many of her amazing accomplishments in 2016, She completed two Ironmans, including the Ironman World Championships in Kona. She has mentored over 6,000 people through her online programs. She is widely sought after for public speaking. She's active in fundraising and philanthropy. And she just released her second book. It's called Unmasked. I think it's only available in Australia. I'm not positive about that, but pretty sure. Uh, But her first we're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to to ensure 
my body is supplied with energy for a proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. Book, which is called Everything to Live For, that's uh, available in the U.S. and I would assume most places. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own N.A. beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients, faithful 
to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story. But basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. All right, Taria. Uh, Taria, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah, it's Taria. Uh, she was just great. We had gone back and forth for... Uh, a while at this point, I think almost a year trying to schedule this interview. I started following her story from afar, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and we've been trying to get together for a long, long time. I was trying to figure out when she would be in the United States. So when I headed to Australia uh, several months ago, she reached out again. I'm glad she did. And it was great to get together. She and her fiance, Michael, came over to our Airbnb in Bondi Beach. Uh, and we spent, you know, I don't know, a couple hours together. She was just super warm, funny, self-effacing, completely at ease with herself and like who she is and what she represents. And, and that, you know, that I think was the most compelling and inspirational thing about her for me, just that she is standing up, you know, with a smile on her face, engaged in her life. It was just really, really cool. Anyway, uh, we get into all of it today in this conversation, her story, of course, her extraordinary relationship uh, with Michael, who has stood by her throughout this entire ordeal. He comes on the mic a few times with his perspective, uh, which is great. So this is really about turning tragedy and adversity into opportunity. It's, uh, it's about personal daily choices we all make every day about how we want to live our lives. And it's about the importance of 
putting others before yourself and, and serving those less fortunate. But mostly, this is a conversation about facing life head on. It's about taking risks. It's about facing your fears. And it's about believing in yourself. Uh, Taria is extraordinary. She's a beacon of hope and strength for millions of people all over the world. And it was just amazing to spend a couple hours with her. Uh, and at the very least, I think this is going to leave you feeling grateful for your own life and with perhaps a different perspective on the personal problems that, uh, that you face, that we all face in our own lives. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Taria Pitt. So nice to talk to you. Thank you for coming over. It's uh, This has been a long time coming, and I'm just super psyched to talk to you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited too. Michael and I were going before. Oh, we get to meet Rich Roll soon. Uh, so we're pretty pumped. So yeah. thank, thank you for having us. Of course. I, we were talking before the podcast, and you know we've been going back and forth now for, I don't know, six or nine months. You came yeah. on my radar around like a couple months before Kona, yeah. and a bunch of people texted me or emailed me and said hey you got to check out this story it's unbelievable and then yeah i got in touch with you and we were trying to figure out like if we were ever going to be in the yeah, same city because yeah. i was in the states uh-huh. i was in the states where you, you would know over uh, christmas mm-hmm. but you weren't there you were but you were you were on the east coast yeah new you know, york yeah, yeah uh-huh. new york yeah right. you're on the other side of the country right yeah yeah, yeah. it's still three thousand miles away yeah, so we couldn't yeah. make that work and then when i was coming here I thought about getting in touch with you, but I knew that you didn't live in Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah. I knew you lived somewhere else, so you just happened to be here. So yeah. here we are. Well, I saw on your Instagram that you were here, so I just thought I'd hit you up. I appreciate that. Yeah. And now we're talking. So what are you doing here in Sydney? Well, um, I do a lot of speeches. I'm a motiva- mo- motivational speaker, online programs and mm-hmm. all of that. So I'm just up in Sydney for work. Right. So My work is like mainly business. Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, mm-hmm. but we live kind of in the country on the coast about four hours south right so it's like it's like farmland like what is it like oh there? it's kind of like farmland it's it's got really good surf really good fishing really good diving uh-huh and it's a real like if you think bondi is relaxed like my town is so relaxed you would fall asleep <laughs> sort of thing yeah it's bondi bit, is pretty relaxed but i'm pretty into it I'm yeah really yeah happy well to like be here. my hometown is next level relaxed right yeah, so you got to come up here for it. a little energy. Well, I mean, I come up when I'm up in Sydney, I'm working. And then when I'm home, I'm just cruising, relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what that work looks like. Like you get up in front of audiences and you tell your story, yeah. I would imagine. Yep. So I get up in front of audiences. I, I share my story. I don't really talk much about uh, the fire. So I was burned mm-hmm. during an ultramarathon. And I, We're going to get into that. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... <laughs> I think when I, I get asked questions about, you know, maybe journalists say, oh, you know, tell me about what, tell me about that day and tell me what it was like. And it's not that I'm un- uncomfortable with answering those questions. I just feel I've, I've covered most of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's not that interesting because anyone can have a really bad accident, which turns their life upside down. But I think what I've done with it, how I've reinvented myself how I've rebuilt my life. I think that's the fascinating part. Mm-hmm. So that's the stuff I talk about in my speeches, about challenging yourself, getting outside of your comfort zone. That's how we grow. And because you can only speak to so many people doing speeches, I've started doing online programs too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing what I talk about in my speeches. Right. But 
Well, I think you're you're correct in pointing out that there's certainly no shortage of people that suffer accidents and yeah. sort of tragedies in their life. I mean, those, those people are everywhere. Yeah, they're yeah. they're everywhere. But yeah. it is the rare individual who can take that experience and channel it into a not just a message, but a life work that can be positively transformative for mm. others. Yeah. And that's certainly what you've done. And there's a lot to be respected and admired <clears throat> about that. But what do you think it is about you that allowed you to, you know, create a different kind of experience than perhaps what most people might have expected in the wake of what occurred? I think it all starts with a choice. And I mean, I kind of make that choice every morning, you know, is it you can choose to have a bad day. You can choose to be in a bad mood. You can choose to look at things in a really positive way, be upbeat, be optimistic, be happy, have a lot of energy. And I really think it all starts just with that choice. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of people don't understand that as well. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I'm also like, I'm just thinking of myself, right? Like I understand that intellectually like, yeah, and, yeah. and I know that I can make that choice, yeah. but I don't always make that choice. And in fact, quite often I don't make that choice. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> right? <laughs> me so too. like there's this, that gap between yeah, morning, the understanding yeah. and the implementation. Yeah, yeah. Like this morning I woke up and I was in, I was in the worst mood ever. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I just said to myself, look, you can change this if you really wanted to, but obviously I didn't want to change it that much. Sometimes it's kind of nice to be in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Does that make Well, s- it's your human being. You know, I think yeah. it's, I'm, I, I don't trust people that, you know, are always telling you they're super duper all the time. Oh, that's I'm a like, lot of it crap. doesn't feel, yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel real or authentic. I feel no. like I'm being put upon. So of course, yes, you should feel lousy once in a while or you're yeah. not, you're, you, you can't like look in the mirror and do that every, and, and pretend to be something that you're not. But I would imagine for you and, you know, people in Australia know you and yeah. when you, you know, when you walk outside that, you know, people are going to notice you and yeah. that there's, there's a certain kind of thing that you probably have to like carry with you because people are like, oh, that's her and this is who she yeah. is. And you have to like be that person. Yeah. Right? But I, I also remind myself that I've chosen this life. So sometimes if I get frustrated that people recognize me. I say to myself, well, you've actually chosen to live a public life. Mm-hmm. You chose to be a motivational speaker. You've chosen to write books about your experiences. And if you if you didn't want people to know who you were, then change your job, change what you do for a living. Because after 10 years, people are going to forget mm-hmm. as well. So I think just, I think when we say I, I, I didn't have a choice and I was forced to do it and I... When we talk like that, it, I feel it's really disempowering. And I think it's it's worth, it, it's good for us to remind ourselves that, yeah, we're in control mm-hmm. and we make the choice and ultimately it comes down to our decisions. And so what do you do? Like, are there practices in your, when you give talks or in your programs, like what are the actual like what are the strategies? steps and strategies yeah, the that strategies? you employ to, you know, shift that mindset? Or- okay. I mean, so one of my strategies is reframing. So I get my students to, when they're struggling with a situation, I get them to write down um, what the very worst thing that could happen would be. And then I get them to write down what the very best thing that could happen could be. And then I just ask them to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. It sounds really simple as well when I explain it. People are like, oh, is that your secret? Is Is that it? 
But I think that's where the beauty is as well. And I think we try to make things more complicated, more complex than they really are. Yeah, I think that goes back to also that that distinction between the understanding and the doing, because yeah. there's something about actually getting a pen out and writing it down and yeah. then just saying, well, I get that. So I've already done it. No, you actually haven't yeah, done it. Do the work. That's and what I say, too. I think so. And I think also when you write down, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And you realize, like, well, actually, that's not that bad. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, it, that's it, what it people it say. It takes the fear away yeah. from it and makes you more kind of empowered to, like, maybe take something that seemed like a bigger risk than it actually is. Yeah. And that's what you know when you just think oh this could happen and that could happen and this could happen and you kind of go around and around and around in circles in your head and I think that might confuse you Mm -hmm. and so I think if you just get pen and paper write it down make two lists I'm a list maker by the way I love Uh I love writing lists and then you look at it and it's it's not that scary once you've done that right yeah and then so then beyond that then what like well, what's the next? What's the what's the step after that? Well, they so choose. You, choo- you choose. All right. So, does anybody choose like the worst case scenario? No. Hey, <laughs> hey. I would yeah. love to see the day when that happened. Uh-huh. No one has yet. But it might. Hey, they might. You got to be ready for that person. And I'll be like, well, hey, if you choose that, go for it. Own it. Be mm-hmm. the most miserable person on the planet. Like, just as long as you're aware that you're mm-hmm. choosing that. I think people. There's a lot of people that that subliminally are making that choice they may tell you like oh i'm choosing like the goal that i want but actually their actions belie that and the choice they're actually making is the worst case scenario or the victim you yeah know, the victim identity or you know what have you uh, that's why i talk a lot about um you know getting rid of your excuses because i think i've probably got one of the better excuses going around like yeah think, your excuse is pretty good uh, look i don't want to get into a competition here but i think mine is pretty good and i could use that i could say no i can't do that because i've been burnt and i i don't have all my fingers and people would say oh i didn't realize i'm so sorry yeah of course you can't do that mm-hmm. and i thought about it and i thought i don't want to live a life where people just allow me to cop out just because of what happened to me mm-hmm and so I, I try not to make excuses, and I think that sets a really good example for others because I think, well, if Tere doesn't make excuses, my excuse about not having enough time doesn't really compare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I really love about – I do these fundraising adventures for Interplast every year. We're doing base camp in two months. Explain what Interplast is. Yeah, I probably should have done that. It's okay. So Interplast, they provide free surgery to people who need it in developing countries. Mm-hmm. So kids who are born with cleft lip, cleft palate, women who've had acid thrown on them, pretty much everything and anything that can be remediated with surgery. It's like plastic surgery for its best, most intended Yeah, purpose. and I mean, I don't like to say plastic surgery because people think, oh, you're fixing like chicks' breasts overseas. Mm-hmm. So that's why I never call it plastic surgery. Um, but yeah, like for people who actually legitimately desperately need it and they live in a country where there is no medical system mm-hmm. so i fundraise for interplast i've helped raise over a million dollars so far and you know that helps a team go to a developing country like bangladesh perform surgeries on people who need it for two weeks straight and those doctors work bloody hard you know and they're not doing it for right. the accolades or for people to give them a pat on the back or anything. Yeah, and they're they're they have a skill set that that could they could easily be in Beverly Hills doing exactly what I, well you that, just mentioned. I, I found know? I found yeah. out about it 
because my surgeon actually volunteers for them. Mm. And in hospital, he used to disappear for two weeks on end and I'd ask him where he went and he, he told me all about Interplast and I just thought, you know, this guy is so busy, so insanely skilled, could make a mozza uh, giving people plastic surgery, but right. instead he's, he chooses to volunteer overseas. And I think that was a really good lesson for me in terms of giving back as well. Yeah, I think uh, in, in in kind of researching your story, you know, giving back and the service component of what you do yeah. is is very much, you know, first and foremost and in and, and the present. So I'd actually that, even written that, down, like, what does that mean to you? And how important is that in terms of keeping you kind of in the mindset and, you know, frame of mind to like continue to do what you do? I think when you, we can get in, we can become too introspective and we can always think about what's happening to me and what's happening in my life and what about my problems and what's going on with, with my personal life and when you you can get into a pattern where you're you're just thinking about yourself mm-hmm. and when it's all about me 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 and you don't think about others i think that doesn't help you at all and it's only when you help others and you help others who aren't as fortunate as you i think that gives you a lot of perspective so i went on these interplast trips and i saw people who had these horrific injuries they just didn't get any medical attention and it really reinforced to me how lucky I was mm-hmm. to live in a country like Australia where I've had access to literally the best medical care that money can buy. So I think helping others definitely gives you perspective because when we're too introspective, we, we can't see the forest from the trees. Yeah, I mean, you when you when it, it just gets you outside of yourself and your ego and your yeah, own little exactly, world yeah. and gives you a more expansive you know, yeah. perspective. And on, we, it's, it's so easy for us to be all about me, me, me. Of course. Yeah, I'm, like, the, I'm the champion of so that. So am I. You know? <laughs> I'm <laughs> the biggest whole, expert on me, and it, it's yeah. not a path to happiness, you know, and no, it's not it's a path not. to humility and all these things that actually will make you happy. Yeah. It's doing the, doing the opposite of what your mind is telling you. Yeah, so, for example, with this base camp trip, my thought pattern is I'm so busy, like I've got so much on and I'm doing this and it's, I don't know, like I don't know why I'm fitting it all in. And But as soon as I go and I meet some of the patients that we've raised money for and I see the shit that they have to go through, mm-hmm. I'll just think, man, I'm, it'll just put things in perspective for me and I'll be really grateful right for that experience yeah i saw i watched the 60 minutes yeah you uh, saw. story on you yeah so oh. you're, there's all this amazing footage of you with these patients and yeah you know, it's just it's heartbreaking to see these kids and but this is the thing about patients in developing countries they're so grateful mm-hmm. for any type of medical attention at all so the doctors are putting them under the worst amounts of pain and they've just got a huge smile ear to ear the right. day after because they know they've been fixed Beautiful. It's that's what I mean. Yeah. I've got a big smile on my face just thinking about yeah. it. It's so, so beautiful. I think to put all of this in proper context, it I hope that you will indulge me and we can go back and, and kind of yeah. tell the story a little bit. I yeah. know you've told it a, a million no, times okay. and that's maybe a- you think it's not relevant, but I think there's a lot of people yeah. listening who who haven't heard of you and for don't sure. know. And for so sure. I think it would be great yeah. if we could do so that. So in two thousand and eleven I was running an ultra marathon. So an ultra probably your listeners would know what an ultra mm-hmm. is, but it's yeah. It's very well explained. It's larger than a marathon. So a marathon is 42 kilometers, 26 miles. Is that? 
26.2. Okay, 26.2 miles. We're not on the metric system yet. (laughs) When I was a kid, they kept telling us, we're going to be on the metric system. Here I am. I'm 50 years old. Why are you guys on the metric system? Because we're all messed up in the U.S. You guys have it right. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Um, And so I was a quarter of the way through the ultramarathon. How old were you at the time? I was 24. Mm -hmm. And was this your first ultra? That was my first ultramarathon, yeah. But had you run marathons? Yeah, uh yeah. So... And this was like in the bush, right? Well, I mean, it's it's been portrayed in the media as being like an outback desert ultramarathon. It was kind of like that. Like it was a pretty remote area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a quarter of the way through the ultramarathon. There was no phone reception um, on, a, on a trail. And I heard what I thought were trucks coming down the highway because I knew that the next checkpoint was really close to the highway. So I, I actually started running a little bit faster because I just wanted to get to the checkpoint, mm-hmm. have water, some food and, you know, cool down a bit. It's pretty hot in the Kimberleys. That's in Western Australia. It's pretty hot at the time of year when the ultra marathon was on. And I was stuck in a – I came into a little gorge. There was six people in the gorge and we could see a fire quickly approaching. Now, that was the sound of the trucks. Mm. That was the what fire I, trucks. That that was this that was what i thought I'll, I'll go back when i say i thought i heard trucks it was actually the rumbling of the fire mm. now i don't know if you know of the venturi effect Mm-mm. so when hot air is funneled into a smaller space like the gorge it actually sucks the fire through it increases the the speed of the fire mm. So it's like sucking the air into it, yeah, right? Yeah, so, we're, so at the, just, we were at the start of the gorge and we saw the fire. We were like, oh, shit, like, what do we do? And so we all tried to run. Um, so you just run back the, where, where you, the way you came from? Or so how well, this do you, is the thing. Because so, it's weird. It's like trying to understand, like, how do you get caught up in this thing without being able to run away from it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so don't forget that a fire can move at around 100 kilometers an hour. Mm. So I don't think that even you'd be able to... No. Run away from it. And it's also weird because it's it's a day in my life close to six years ago. So my memory is a little bit patchy, but we were running through shoulder-high grass, mm-hmm. dry spin effects. So I thought that would be perfect fuel for the flames. Or the side of the gorge, it was really rocky. There was less vegetation. But I also knew that the speed of fire accelerates going up a hill Mm -hmm. so you had to make a decision like in the moment like which way are we going to go yeah yeah so i chose to run up the hill run Mm -hmm. up the side of the gorge and you there were six other people there There so did they go with you or we we, so two of them ran back the way we came from and they didn't get burnt Mm -hmm. uh two guys jumped through the fire yeah, and uh, and how, what happened to those guys? They got burnt. They weren't as badly burnt. And Kate and I, Kate was the other woman who was badly injured. We got burnt to sixty five percent of our body. Wow! And so you're running up this gorge, right? Yeah. And what it encapsulates you? It just surrounds you all of a just sudden, or how surrounds it? me? And I just remember looking down, my hands and arms are both ablaze. And I just thought, this is it. I'm never going to see Michael again. Now, once the fire had passed, I was. So how long, but for how long did that go on for? Yeah, I, I think a couple of seconds, five seconds. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. 
And do you pass out, or no, do you, no, how, no. Do you, how do you get so the, after the you fire? Roll I on passed, the ground, or how did I get the flames out? Yeah, I don't know. Uh huh. Don't know. You go into like a fugue state, right? Like some kind of crazy, total shock. Like, right. did that? Is this a dream? Did that really just happen? You know. And then I actually got this sense of elation because I was like, I've survived. Like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go to hospital. They'll bandage me up. I'll be back at work on Monday. I was in that semi-delusional state of mind, which is probably just my body's reaction to try and save my life. Well, yeah, like the adrenaline rush probably. Adrenaline and I was just off my head. I had no um, grasp on time or, or space. Right. So we actually were stuck on that hillside for four hours. Wow. Yeah, and that- We, like all six of you? All six of us, and mm-hmm. there were some other competitors as well. Because people coming up from behind are discovering you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we end up waiting for four hours. A helicopter comes. <sighs> the helicopter has to balance on one skid. First they take Kate, and I was like, Hello. Right. I'm here. Like, why, why aren't you <laughs> taking... You Hello. Yeah. Four hours. That whole ego thing. Why did know? it take so long? They didn't have. They didn't it, know what was going on or... Yeah, I think just due to the location. You know, there was no... Not very good communication. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there was no mobile phone reception, that type of thing. So... How many people were in this ultra? There was, I think, around 50 people. Yeah, oh. so it wasn't huge. Right. It wasn't huge. So... When I got picked up in the helicopter, I went to hospital. I said to the doctors and For those, hold on a second though. For those four hours, do you remember, like what were you doing? Like were you alert or were you passed out or do you remember? Like, I mean, that's a long time. It is, but when you don't have a firm grasp on reality, four hours could have been four minutes. It could have been Mm -hmm. 40 minutes. It could have been, well, it couldn't have been four days, but you know, I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, the survival you know, instinct must have kicked in pretty powerfully, but there's only so long you can keep that adrenaline coursing through your veins before you kind of... So I think towards that end of the four hours, I was like starting to pass out and the people who I was with were like, no, Tria, wake up. They would talk to me about work or just something really mundane. and Mm -hmm. Just to keep you Just to keep me lucid, yeah. And I think though, if we... If the helicopter wasn't able to extricate Kate and myself, I don't think we would be here. Right. Yeah. Because we were starting to swell quite badly. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any water, no pain mm. medication. I, I think the helicopter got there just on dark too. Mm. Mm. And I mean, full credit to that helicopter pilot though. He wasn't a medical helicopter. He was just a normal... Just like an average helicopter a regular, dude, right? Well, pilot not, guy? Not that helicopter pilots are you know, ever average, but he was just... He's not a paramedic, though. He wasn't a paramedic because like he was his, a regular bloke. He had a wife at home. He had a six-week-old baby. They're not supposed to balance on one skid, hmm. you know? Right. So he, he he risked his life to save me. Wow. Yeah. So he gets you in. Again, another example of someone doing something completely selfless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when I was trapped by the fire, I was really scared. And I said to one of the blokes who I literally just met in that life and death situation, he had his son there, and he saw that I was upset and he took precious seconds to comfort me. 
Yeah, again, yeah, another right. active total selflessness. Right. That makes made a huge difference. I mean, yeah. I would imagine your life was very much in the balance. I mean, four hours with the extensive, you know, the extent to which you were burned. Yeah, I, totally. I mean, so we the helicopter landed in a little town of Kananara. I walked from the helicopter into hospital. You walked? I walked. Well, they were they were kind of like stuffing around, like trying to get the ambulance around and in the end, I just thought, stuff this. All right, so you know. I like hopped out of the helicopter and started oh walk, like walking into the hospital. Because in my head, I was fine. Uh-huh. I was going to be back at work in a couple of days. Wow, that's crazy. So the, I was like, the just, power of denial. just bandage me up and, you know, I want to go, you know, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And in in the hospital, they weren't really taking my taking me seriously. I was like, can someone call Michael? Like, I need to get out of here. I want to get going wow you were really not tapped into what was no i was adamant that i was out of there like Uh and then did they have a burn like a burn unit no so the town is really small kananara there's probably about five thousand people who live there so they put a needle in me and i woke up a month later in a hospital in sydney and they induce a coma they induced coma yeah induced Uh coma yeah so behind the scenes, I'd been flown to Darwin, been flown to Sydney. Michael had literally flown all over the country to to make sure he was with me. They flew in skin from America. Whoa. Yeah. How does that work? So uh, with burns patients, because you are such such a large proportion of me was burnt. They, they needed, couldn't graft you. They couldn't graft from no, somewhere No, so what they normally body. do is if you get burnt, they take a you know a skin graft from your back and they put it on your arm. Mm-hmm. But because I'd been burnt to the majority of my body, they didn't have it. They didn't have enough skin to take from anywhere. And so what they did is they got donor skin from the US. And that skin flew wow. to to Australia. And does the does it is it have to be like a is there like a matching process like with an no, organ? No, 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 because the skin is only used as a temporary bandage. I see. Yeah. So they Just need to, to prevent they, infection until exactly, your own skin can grow Exactly. So the thing is that when the skin landed in Australia, customs wouldn't let it through because that was the first time skin had ever been uh-huh. imported to Australia. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And so my surgeons were on the phone saying, look, if we don't get this skin by this afternoon this patient will be dead how much skin was it like i don't know so that but it could cover a large portion well of i was your... burnt to 65 percent of my body so i don't know like half of me mm-hmm. um but the interesting thing was it was all different colors wow yeah so it was from multiple donors multiple donors yeah actually when i went to the u.s i found out that there was actually 16 different donors oh my god yeah and how does how does somebody contribute that? Is it because they've they've perished and they've contributed their organs? Yeah, so and I guess this is why it's really important for people to be registered as an organ as donor. an organ and tissue donor. Yeah. Uh huh. So sixteen people, and so explain to me basically the situation that yourself and somebody who you know has suffered like you have is in when you're in an mm. induced coma and what you're like a couple weeks you know or maybe even a week or two out of this <clears throat> burn event yeah. i mean what you know your 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 you know your tissue is exposed obviously infection is you know mm. huge that's a major thing right but like what exactly is going on 
in my mind. No, just like physically. Oh, physically? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you weren't awake yet, so there's nothing going on in your mind, right? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> I was having a lot of crazy dreams. From, uh-huh, yeah. Well, I was on They're morphine. probably really crazy drugs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was on a crazy amount of drugs. Um, like what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, like I just want to understand like yeah. how, you know, the, the, the sort of situation of somebody who's been burned so extensively, like what they're actually looking at. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that because I was mm-hmm. asleep and I haven't really investigated it thoroughly. But, you know, I know I had multiple operations. You know, they would graft skin areas. Sometimes it didn't take, so I'd have mm-hmm. to go back in for another operation. I think I've had over 200 operations now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had to amp- 200. Yeah. Since and this was 2000 like fall 2011. Yeah, 2011 and I so when you get put under anesthetic they could do maybe five things on you. Uh-huh. So maybe like 50 general anesthetics. Right. Yeah. So they just they can't overdo it or they put your life in peril, right? So they have to space these yeah, out. Yeah, well actually I, I passed away three times. Oh. I actually did die three times on the operating table wow is that while you were in the induced coma or yeah that was that that was in the early stages Uh and so you know for michael and mom my family that would have been tremendously hard because you know my my family they're they're realists but they're also pretty positive as well Mm -hmm. and to hear the doctor say well i don't know she might not make it like i can't really tell you anything more than that that would have been pretty heartbreaking yeah and fl- yeah. and flatlining for how long do you know i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know so probably what's flatlining like like when your heart stops beating oh yeah i don't know that's a, i might find that out yeah. though. that is a good question you should ask your doctor yeah. Yeah, yeah i'll ask my doctors <laughs> but just to kind of for people that are listening um yeah. who are unfamiliar with the story so what 65 percent of yeah. your body is third is a third degree burns, yes, third or how do you degree. describe it and you've lost some some digits some fingers yep. Um, it's across your arms, your face, your legs, your torso. Yeah. That's essentially it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so skin grafting and the healing process and all the surgeries that go into like trying to, you know, yeah, put Taria back together. Yeah. And I guess I think the, the hardest thing about being in hospital was, you know, recovering from a burns injury. It's, it's really long. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people go to hospital, they get fixed up. They leave and they're all better. But when you have a really big burn like mine, it's a really long, long process. So, you know, Mm -hmm. years, not months. And it's also really painful. It's out of this world, excruciating, Mm all-encompassing, takes over your mind and body. Like you can't move at all, right, without pain? Well, you can't move at all. And then they they have to change your bandages every day. Right. And that's like a a torture ritual that would be inflicted on me every day. So you're in the induced coma for, did you say a month? About a month. About a month. So when you come to what, you know, and you come into an awareness of what had actually happened, like what's going on with you mentally at that point? I think probably there's an aspect of denial there too. Like, why am I still in the hospital? Well, (laughs) I remember... You know, the nurses were saying, oh, it would be good for you and Michael to plan a holiday after this is all over. And my accident happened in September. So I would just harass Michael every day. I'd say, I want to go to Antarctica. Like, book that trip. We've got to go on that holiday. And he'd be like, 
oh, oh, yeah, you know, like you're not. Gonna, he was thinking <laughs> you're not going to be out of here uh-huh. by Christmas time. But I was just so adamant that so you just weren't. It's almost like the defense mechanism in you was so strong, like you weren't able to hear what the doctors and everybody was telling you. Yeah, and I guess I'm not. I'm not putting putting blame on my doctors or the medical staff because they are phenomenal. They're amazing. They've put me back together. But I also think it's not in their interests to be positive because they don't want to tell someone, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll be running again, you'll be active again, you'll be able to do everything that you used to do because maybe sometimes that won't happen. And the so patient what, could get really angry. So they right. said, what were they telling you? You won't be able to run again. You'll need to care for the rest of your life. You'll have to readjust your expectations. But then they'd say, oh, on the bright side, you know, you might get a job again, you might drive again, you might get married. Mm-hmm. And I'm not belittling, belittling those things, but it pissed me off because I'd always been such a high achiever and a go-getter. And I felt because I'd had this accident, everyone's expectations of me had just plummeted. Mm-hmm. So no one expected anything from me anymore. So was that your reaction immediately upon hearing that news, like a refusal to accept that that would be your fate? Or did you have like a period of like- the Yo-yos, the, up the, and down. Yeah. So some days I think, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna prove everyone wrong. I'm gonna rebuild myself. I'm gonna be the biggest, baddest person on the planet. And then the next day I'd say, oh nah, this is too hard. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just, I would imagine you had to have moments of like, why sure. me? How is this happening? Sure, I can't believe totally. this. Like my life is over. And people always want to know like what the pivotal moment was, but there was no pivotal moment. It's not like one morning I woke up and I said, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be super strong for the rest of my life. It was just day in, day out, working towards walking 50 meters, working towards being able to do a flight of stairs. Just, I think it was really about, and you would know this with all your training and the same thing with training for Ironman, it's about consistency. Mm -hmm. So just doing something every day. Some days you feel like you're going good, some days you don't know if you're making any progress at all. But over the long term, you see results. Yeah, true in sport and truer in life. Yeah, and I think, I guess I was... I was blessed in some ways because the people around me, Michael, my mom, my dad, my brothers, they were all believers. Mm -hmm. So when I said to them, I'm going to do an Ironman one day, they didn't say, well, come on, Taria, be realistic. The doctor said you won't be able to run again and you'll need to care for the rest of your life. They just said, oh, cool. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. How long after the burn did, did you announce that you wanted to do an Ironman? This is about, I think about maybe two months. Uh-huh. I had no idea what an Ironman was. <laughs> I had no uh, idea. You've run an ultra. You must have, and no, you're an Australian. You must know what an Ironman is. No, I didn't because I wasn't really. really and uh-huh. I remember a couple of guys at work used to do Ironman events. And I'd think in my head, why would you want to do that? That sounds really boring. Uh-huh. That's what, this is coming from someone who does Ultras, but yeah. anyway, so <laughs> well, they are some. They can be really boring. Uh, yeah, I found yeah, the Ironman. You found really, that I out, found right? It really boring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I think, obviously, I had. I've got. I'm very determined. I had a lot of self belief, and I'm quite a resilient person. But where does that come from? I think, I think it's just my mindset. Is it is it the way you were raised? Is it definitely, just something you came definitely. out of the womb like this? No, I don't think anyone is just naturally. So how did your parents raise you so that you can view the world in this positive okay, way? Okay, so for example, my mom had four kids at home. She had a full-time job and she wrote novels. And every wow. night when I'd go to sleep, I could hear her typing away on her keyboard. That's and amazing. then her first book got rejected 14 times. And as you do when you get rejected 14 times, you write uh-huh. another book. And her second book became a commercial success. It was published all over the world, translated in wow, yeah, around 10 different languages. So that lesson to me, it showed me that if you work hard for something and you're persistent and you persevere and you believe in yourself, you see results. Mm-hmm. My dad was really old school. He had a really tough love approach. So he had two rules when we were kids. The first one was no whinging. What does that mean? No whinging. Oh, like no. That's com- like an Australian. Yeah, it's Australian. It's like uh, no, no complaining. Uh huh. And his second rule was no bloody whinging. Uh huh. That's a really, that's a really Australian saying. <laughs> Hard too. to please, dude. Yeah, no, but it was just like if you're not, you either change your circumstances, and if you're not willing to do that, I don't want to hear about right. it. I don't want to hear you whinge or complain. So when I was a kid. My brother and I, we missed the bus to school, so we wagged school. Do you know what wag? Do you no, that? what does that mean? We skipped school. We didn't uh-huh. go to school. Australians have a nickname for everything. Yeah, we do, don't we? We're, we're unique like that. Uh-huh. And then uh, Dad found out, 
and he was furious. He dug a trench in the backyard. My brother and I had to run from our house 10 minutes down to the beach, grab a handful of sand, run the 10 minutes home, put it in the trench, uh-huh. and we weren't allowed to finish until that. So the trench was full? Until the trench was full. That's intense. That's intense, but like, yeah, his style of parenting was really intense, but I'm grateful for that because it's, it's part of what makes me who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why I don't whinge. It's why I don't complain. It's why I've got to, well, you know, you've got to get up and go and, proactive approach to things persistence and no complaining that's yeah. a, you know that's a pretty powerful combination to combat what you were facing exactly yeah but i would also did he ever say all right you can complain a little bit like it's no, okay never. for you to, even in the wake of all of this oh he never gave you a minute where he, he said it's okay you can complain for five minutes after my accident no well yeah. that was sort of more mom's job uh-huh you know my mom's from tahiti she's a beautiful woman she's very loving everyone who meets her falls in love with her and they uh-huh. say, oh, your mom is so awesome. So I would, I would, you know, cry to mom. When dad came to the hospital, it was like very serious. Right. We've got to go get you doing squats or whatever. And my- Move, Moving forward, looking forward. Yeah, well, we can't do anything about it. You've been burnt, so what, what else can we do? And Michael, my partner, was probably the best out of all of them. Mm-hmm. He was amazing. Michael, can you come? He's sitting over here. Can you come over here? Yeah, I should have set up a third mic for you. He but, was there. Uh, he was there with me every day. Here, pull up a chair for a second, because I'm. I, I want to know like what it was like. You know, here, hand him the mic for for a second. Like, I want to know what this this was like for you. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an extraordinary thing that you were able to show up for Taria and, and and be by her side. You know, throughout the entire thing, and and then you know, you guys are. You're married now or you're engaged? No, we're engaged. You're engaged, so, yeah, right? Congrats on that. Thank That's you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it I, had to be, you know, traumatic and terrifying. It was. Everything you said, like it was, it's heartbreaking. And But the thing is, like with something like this, and I realize it's not only Taria and I that go through accidents, like, you know, accidents happen every day and every family experiences them. So you just have to sort of step up to the plate. And the way we did it, you know, we just sort of believed in each other and, you know, I I was such a realist and I was like, you know, this has happened and there's no point crying about it. But what we can do is we can help Taria to walk and hold a hand while she walks up a flight of stairs. And mm-hmm. every day you'd see a little bit of improvement and that would make you and your heart feel like you're actually doing a job and you're achieving something. So it was a team effort. But, yeah, it was very bloody hard. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of families go through it and they obviously don't get the recognition that Taria and I have because the media in Australia – found it a fascinating um incident and that and they were really positive towards us and they've shone a, a a beautiful light upon Taria, which was amazing so i do thank them for that but also mm-hmm. the media can be terrible as you know so yeah well like the paparazzi side of it you yeah mean, right like being too sort of up in your business about everything that's going on yeah well they just sh- shone a light for everybody to see what had happened but right. i mean if it didn't happen as an ultra marathon out in the desert Nobody would know about right. Taria being burnt. So, you know, I, I, what I'm trying to say is these things happen and we've just had a positive feedback, a spotlight from the media, which, you know, it's helped Taria to sort of keep moving forward. And mm-hmm. yeah. and so you and Taria, you were in the hospital for how long? Six, six months. Six months. And so during that period, Michael, I, I would imagine your life had to be put on hold completely, right? So Because you're, had- you're, you were in Sydney during that, Yeah. Or no? Oh, okay. All right. I was a mining engineer. I see. Yeah. 
Uh huh. And so you and so you and you were like a police officer. Yeah. Right. And so did you have to take t- like extensive so time I off resigned. Work or like I resigned. resigned. Uh-huh. And then the accident happened. And then I just dropped everything. And I thought, you know, if she could get through the rehabilitation and the physiotherapy that was asked upon her, it was quite easy for me to be alongside her every day and help her. Like, I mean, all I had to do was be there. So mm-hmm. the doctors were quite ruthless. They said, you know, she's going to be here for six months and it's two years of rehabilitation. And then in five years' time, she won't know herself. She'll be, you know, going great. So I was, I just believed in them and, you know, I just put myself there for her to rebound off and you know to be honest looking from the outside i can see it might be sort of a big thing but it was quite easy at the at the time yeah. that it happened yeah to what do was that. the what was the hardest part for you the hardest part was when i saw her walk for the first time uh because before that i remember her running long distances i used to go running with her 20ks of an afternoon and then to see her in hospital and the nurses get her up and she can't even walk three steps and she's just howling in pain i mean that that broke me as a man and i had to walk away and actually had a few tears in the corner at, mm. that, at that stage and that that really hurt me and so what what did you have to do like for yourself to be able to kind of deal with this on a daily basis like you know just to be the support that you know that she needed you to be yeah well it's i mean everybody's got their own sort of therapy and um remedy in situations like this and for me it was the ocean like i would go down for swims and jump in there and i you know i could scream underwater and sometimes i would just catch a wave and that would be a relief for me to get in there and have the salt on my skin and the wind in my hair and so that that was my remedy some people get counseling some people Mm -hmm. um they do exercise my remedy was the ocean and that was very therapeutic throughout the whole process and it did help me Mm -hmm. Mm. is there was there any aspect of this where there you know sometimes there they create like community where there's other people that are going through the same thing like here talk to this guy he's going through it or like i mean they have like cancer survivors have that there's all you know Look, I think the rehabilitation for anybody that's bad here in Australia, it's pretty, it's, it's unfortunate that it's pretty poor. There's not that many services that support. And mm-hmm. there was a chaplain that came around and tried to talk to me. But to be honest, I didn't have any interest in speaking to him. I could speak to my family and my friends and that was my way of a release. Right. And, you know, like I'd go for runs as well. And that was really good, the exercise and to keep my mind healthy and swimming. That swimming was probably the best exercise I could do because... You know, you go for an hour swim, as you know, you get out Absolutely. and you feel invincible and you, you start fresh again. Absolutely. Mm. Well, I think, you you know, it would be no surprise to you. And I'm sure you've now you work with all these other people that are experiencing things similar to what you you guys have endured collectively as a couple. And I would imagine you've seen relationships dissolve or break up over this sort of thing, right? Yeah. So it's either gonna it's gonna go one of two ways. It's either gonna bring you closer or it's For gonna sure. blow you apart, right? So how do you why do you and I'm interested in both of your perspectives on this, like how do you what did what did you why do you think you guys it brought you guys closer together? Like what did you do that allowed you to kind of weather this and get to this place where you have this great relationship and you're getting married, whereas you've seen other people like splitting up? That's, uh, I I, I can't really speak for anyone else. I can just sort of say that, you know, it was tough and like it's, I know people have seen us to be happy and smiling all the time, but there is down time, down, you know, times when you're sad and, you know, you do, you do sort of fight with one another, but I think that's generally a healthy relationship if, I mean, I'm sure you and (laughs) you have arguments here. We fight all the time, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, anybody who tells, says they don't fight, that's not yeah. that's not a good yeah. sign. Yeah. I mean, we they're, have... not be, they're either lying or they're not being honest. <laughs> they're not like being honest with each other, right? Yeah. So I uh, I'm very honest with Michael. And so ours uh-huh. did involve all that. Like you know, there was arguments. There was times I I wanted to walk away, and you know, there was times Taria wanted to walk away from me, and mm-hmm. it was tough. And you know, I think sometimes people always say to me, you know. Bad things sometimes happen to people who, you know, have to be tested. And I think, you know, for some reason, this unfortunate accident happened to Taria and it tested her and it te- tested our relationship immensely. And, you know, we've come out shining at the end of the, of the journey and we're, we're pretty stoked where we are at the moment yeah. and we're pretty proud of how we've sort of kept our relationship together through such a traumatic event. Mm. Yeah, and it's given you an opportunity to be able to be of service to other yeah. people in a really profound and, and meaningful way. So when you look at, when you look upon this, you know, it's sort of like the universe puts this in front of you and you can be I a victim or you can, uh, yeah, he's standing around. No, I might want you back, sit down. Uh, you know, you can shrink from it and, yeah. and be the victim or you can rise to the challenge and understand that perhaps there is, you know, there is a, there is a silver lining in this and mm. something to be learned that can be shared. When you look on it now, do you, are you able to like access that kind of gratitude for it? Like, do you wish it, if you could do it all over again, do you wish, I wish that never happened or do you look at it and say, this is a gift because now I get to do this thing that I didn't think I was going to be able to do with my life? Like, how do you perceive it? Yeah, well, I think that comes back to that reframing technique that I was talking about earlier. I could look at it and say, oh, I wish it never happened. It changed my whole life. Or I could say, this traumatic thing happened to me, but it's given me so much. It's made my relationship with Michael way more profound and deeper. It's given me a new appreciation for my family and friends and community, they're all so awesome. I'm able to travel all around the world now and do what I, I love to do. Mm-hmm. I can compete in crazy events mm-hmm. such as Ironman Kona. I've got a, a profile and a platform. So if I talk about Interplast, I'm able to galvanize people to raise money for that. And when you look at those two options, I know which one I would choose. Mm-hmm. What was the plan before? Like what was the career path that I you was had a mining engineer. For? Mm-hmm. And engineering is a very male-dominated industry, and mining engineering even more so. So in my class, I was 80 blokes and four girls. Uh-huh. Uh, and I really loved it I really because you got to work in cool places in Australia in the middle of nowhere uh-huh. with nothing around you. I, I love places like that. And I was really happy with my career. I wanted to be um, a mining manager or move move my way up through the company but at the same time it wasn't emotionally fulfilling either mm-hmm. and I recognized that it, after only working I was only working as an engineer for about a year mm-hmm. I started at uni for about five years mm-hmm. and even after a year I became a little disillusioned with it because I thought I've started my ass off to get here I don't really know if here is where I want to be mm-hmm. yeah right but the connection that you get with what you do now in, in terms of like, you know, how it impacts people. I feel uh, like everything's magnified. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But do you also, I, I would assume that you presume that you feel like a, you know, a responsibility because this happened and because you have this experience and because you've been able to kind of um, uh, transcend it, you know, with yeah. the accomplishments that you, that you have, you have done that that packed into that mm. is this sort of 
call to action to be this beacon of you know strength for other people that are struggling do you feel yeah, that i guess or? i do feel a little bit of responsibility but i also don't take myself too seriously and if you if you follow me on instagram or whatever uh-huh. i've got a pretty wicked sense of humor and do you have that expression take the piss Is that, yeah i know what that means yeah that's yeah. the one thing i do yeah yeah <laughs> so like i, I like to uh-huh. take the piss and you know, pay myself out because I think as well we can get into the habit of taking everything so serious and we're all right. so busy and we're all so important. And I think when you just have a laugh with your mates and relax and remember that we only get one life and we've got to mm-hmm. enjoy it as well as making a difference, we've also got to enjoy. But I think that's know, that's important also in terms, I think, of, of disarming people when you first meet them. Like, yeah. because people don't know how to act or they're sure, like, people, you know, what, people, right, you know? Yeah, people might be a little um, awkward, maybe. And so I just probably do crack a few jokes just uh-huh. to let them know that it's I'm, okay. I'm still a human. It's okay. <laughs> right. You can relax. Yeah. And, you know, people always ask if I've had such a good sense of humor. And I reckon I have. It's just that perhaps it's developed more because of what I've been through because I mm-hmm. realize that if I need, want to disarm people and I want to break through to them, I need to get them a bit, you know, relaxed. Does and that make sense? It does. But when you say that, I can't help but think, you know, that's – I think I see an amazing person in that because a lot of people would just become bitter and angry. And resentful. Yeah, but I chose not to be. Mm-hmm. But again, it goes back to that, like, how do you make that choice? I make that choice every day, every morning, or throughout the day. But they're saying that you're going to do it and then actually, like, like feeling it, like embodying yeah, that there is and a practicing that. There is like, a is difference there a, for sure. Is there an act as if, like, you do it until you feel it, or so do you I, honestly I say, feel it? I, no, I say it out loud. Because, you know, it's easy to think, yeah, okay, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be happy. But there's a huge difference in actually verbalizing it, saying it out loud and saying it like you mean it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I say to myself, is today going to be a good day or a bad day, Tarea? Like it's your choice, your call, you choose. And do you ever say, yeah, it's going to be a bad day? Yeah, sometimes I do. Uh-huh. And then I say to myself, well, if you want it to be a bad day or a bad morning, we'll just go with it. Mm-hmm. Be in a bad mood. But then don't complain about being in a bad mood. Yeah, don't complain to me that you're in a <laughs> such a bad mood and why can't you fix me because I'm in a bad mood and I need you to cheer me up. Right. Yeah. All right. So so back to the rehabilitation. You're you know, you're trying to as as Michael explained, like the painful, you know, first yeah. steps of trying to yeah. learn how to walk was, again and all was, of that. Like is that the skin is just so taut and, and damaged or is so the, the muscles the, atrophy? The, and, the muscles are atrophied, the skin is damaged. It's a skill that I haven't practiced in a month. So if you're lying flat for a month, your muscles and just that skill, mm-hmm. that balance, that sense of balance, it's gonna be lost. And so when I, I was in this state of delusion, I'm going to be fine, everything's going to be okay. And then when I stood up to walk, I was like, no, things aren't going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Things are actually going to be really, really bloody long and really bloody tough. And what people have been saying to me, they might actually be on the right track. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your experience as an ultramarathoner played into your ability to kind of approach the rehabilitation? I think for sure, because I've always loved sports and loved challenging myself. 
So I think if you don't, if you're not someone who's involved with sports, you might never have experienced that sensation when you're uncomfortable. You want to quit, but you just keep going. Mm-hmm. So I think 100% it played a huge role. And when you were when you were doing that, were you thinking like someday I'm going to run a marathon again, or I'm going to run like I yeah. used to run? Like you had yeah, that, yeah. you held you know, that vision for yourself. I would be walking like a grandma, th- saying to myself, "Yeah, one day you're gonna you're gonna be running a marathon. You're gonna be doing this. You're gonna be doing that." And, and are clip- you, are you somebody who? Sorry, to no, that's but like right. I want to get to kind of behind the the you know pull the pull the covers back a little bit more on this. Like, are you somebody who? lets everyone in on that goal or are you somebody who kind of covets that quietly and says I'll show them but you know I'm going to keep that's my secret and that's you know I hope that's why it's powerful for me or do you do you just tell everyone and, and then it just becomes real because yeah, I like everyone to, has I like, been notified yeah, I like to tell everyone so like even yeah. my first Ironman in Australia I literally told every single person that I came across that I was doing it and then mm. I was like shit I actually have to right because it creates an external accountability. Exactly, yeah. And for me, the fear of being embarrassed or looking like a goose. Do you have that? Ex- no. Okay, well, you're looking like a bit of a kook. You know, you say right. you're going to do something, then you don't do it. Uh-huh. I don't like being that person. So I like to say I'm doing something and then follow through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for sure, a lot of people like to hold it internally and, and stew on it, and they make it happen that way. Right. Yeah. So, all right, so this rehabilitation is going on for two years? Yeah. Two years, right? Do you have moments where you just feel like, okay, like I broke through, or is it just a gradual Some days I think, yes, I've overcome everything. I've broken through, and then the next day I'd feel really crap, and I'd go, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I haven't broken through. And I always thought I would get to a stage where I'd be over it, and... Actually, two years after the fire, I was I was playing my life pretty safe and one of the guys from the fire was riding his bike. He was training for an adventure race and he got hit by a truck mm. and passed away. And that, wow. that for me just really reinforced that there's no benefit to playing your life really safe because... I thought because I'd been through that fire, I'd be immune to further tragedy. Mm-hmm. But now I think if you don't live your life big, live it on your terms, take risks, bet big, believe in yourself, I don't really know if that's much of a life. It's not much of a life mm-hmm. for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, you could cower and stay at home and watch could, daytime television yeah. and everyone would say oh that's fine like nobody is gonna no one would pull no me would, up exactly. everyone would say well she's been really badly burnt in a fire that's right. why she's like that and you've she's really fragile and you have to be sensitive and i hated that how people would walk around on their tippy toes around mm-hmm. me and it just it really frustrated me because i felt you know i was like i'm a grown woman i i'm an independent person i know what's going on and so when do you decide you're going to do this? The first Ironman you did was Ironman Australia, Australia right? Yeah. So, yeah. How, so I decided, how long that, after, in hos- I decided yeah. that in hospital. <laughs> you did? You fill out? Did you like sign up for it and stuff? No, I decided that in hospital and I said, oh, so I did a, a cycle in Australia. I walked mm. to the Great Wall of China. Oh, so the, the Great Wall was before the Ironman. That was okay. before the Ironman. Yeah, yeah. And I uh-huh. thought that would build up my legs right. for the marathon. And, then and you did that as a fundraiser. That was a yeah. fundraiser for Interplast. Mm-hmm. And I did a swim in Kananara, which is where the fire happened. Right. 
Yeah, I saw some video of, yeah, that, that, of that, that as well. That was like a 20 kilometer swim. Yeah, but I... I wasn't sure which came first in the timeline. So. No, no, that was, that was earlier on. I see. And I did it in a team. Uh-huh. So I didn't swim 20 Right, kilometers. but you did it with the other burn victims, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, That's amazing. So it was cool. We came dead last. <laughs> like literally. Yeah, but it's like... In the hey. in the class of, of people that have been devastatingly burned in a fire, you well, came no. in first. So like two of... <laughs> yeah. Two of the guys weren't, uh, didn't get burnt. Sorry, uh-huh. one of the guys didn't get burnt, and he was the worst. He was Adam, the worst. He was so bad. Uh huh. He told me he couldn't <laughs> swim, but I. That's unacceptable. Yeah, I was really annoyed. I was like, "We're going to come last because of you." Uh huh. That's so funny. Yeah. So, so you, but you must be really close with those people, though. After yeah, having and I guess it's a, it's a strange closeness because mm-hmm. we don't we love extreme events, and that's why we're in the ultra marathon. But we're not that similar mm-hmm. in other aspects, but. But you were in, the, it's like being in, yeah, in battle, sure. like you were, you survived this crazy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only so, you guys know what that was like. Yeah, exactly. So we are really close. Um, and then. I, so those built up some confidence that. That was really a confidence. To, so in my mind, I thought that's preparing me for the Ironman. And then I texted one of the blokes from the fire because he'd done about 10 Ironman events. Uh-huh. And I said, who was your coach? He put me onto the coach. I saw the coach, I sort of walked in there like acting like I was way fitter than what I was. And Mark was like, Tree, you've just got to be really honest. Like, the furthest you can run at the moment is four kilometers. And, uh-huh. you know, you can probably swim a kilometer without stopping. And you can't even ride a bike without cleats. So mm-hmm. just be really honest. So I was. And then he gave me a program. And how long? What, how long was the time period leading up to the race? Like 15 months. 15 months. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but like still to go from not being able to run more than four kilometers yeah. to being able to do an Ironman, that's a that's a mountain to climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, I felt it was a really cathartic process for me because I've written books and people have asked if they've been cathartic and they haven't really been that cathartic. Hmm. But I think the process of training for something, when you get up every morning and you just do it and there's there's an internal battle that goes on every day with your training. And yeah, I I think the Ironman did a lot for me. It's interesting that you found catharsis in the training and not in the sort of divulging through the books and the writing. Because the book was all looking backwards. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, would, I was thinking, I, I don't want to go through it again. Like, So the catharsis is in kind of shedding, you know, to like it, it was like a terrible saying, metaphor to, sh- to shed another skin, right? Yeah, to like and step it was like, who in, are you? Right. Like, like, this is your chance to prove yourself. This is where you have to step up, you know? Mm-hmm. People think you're just a, a Burns victim and this is your opportunity to show no. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Did you have a sense that um, you're getting a lot of press, right? So you had this idea like people are paying attention and you have an opportunity to be this inspirational figure. So how much of it is oriented around that versus for yourself? All of it was for myself. Mm. Yeah, the whole the whole journey. It was it's a self it's I was gonna say it's a selfish sport. It was a selfish sport for me because it was all consuming. Mm took over everything. And Michael, how was that when she was training all the time for trying to get, uh, were you a, like supportive or you like, was she's insane or? It was amazing. I was supportive because it was good to see her rehabilitating and body back to where she was before. So that was uh-huh. a beautiful thing. And looking forward. And looking, looking forward. So mm-hmm. I mean, she like I said, that she, I would have ra- way rather watched her do, be rehabilitated and trained for the Ironman and sit in a corner and cry. So it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, man, we had some huge blow-ups. Yeah. You know, because some days my, my bike wouldn't be working properly and I'd be like, you've got to fix it. I've got to – I have to train. I need to do this. And, uh-huh. yeah, well, you get you get kind of stressed and anxious and I'd get annoyed if there wasn't – Michael's got to take care of this for me, right? But, yeah. like, you – like, during the, the rehabilitation – yeah. process like you like literally had to like dress her right like there's it yeah. was very it's not like it's very hands-on yeah. like full-blown full-blown job I remember, situation i remember once he was getting my clothes ready for the morning and i was like no i don't want to wear that don't want to wear that don't want to wear that i was being a real yeah god di- damn it just get dressed i was being really difficult <laughs> and finally he just snapped he like pulled all of my clothes out of the closet threw them down to the bed and said you do it i'm out of here <laughs> Well, at some point, you uh, got to yeah. like learn how to yeah, do I it. Thought, yeah, okay, Tari, uh-huh. you've probably you've probably taken things a little too far this time. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm I'm actually glad to hear stories like that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's yeah. real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's real. Yeah. 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 So she's so so you're you're having to like sort of be her. Uh, I was her carer. Yeah. And like, but it, there was a stage though where you know I didn't have to do a toiletries for her, and I, that did help in a big way, but. You know, I was a carer and I was I was comfortable doing that. And mm-hmm. I took that upon myself. We could have got nurses and um, physiotherapists and that around to the house, but we didn't need to. I was more than happy to do that because every day I would see an increase in her rehabilitation, you know. She would be able to do something. She'd put a bra on, for instance, and I'd be like, oh, you couldn't do that yesterday. And before I knew it, she was dressing herself and I, was right. abs- I walked away from that um, position. Right. And I mean, it's the cool thing about – I don't know. I actually don't know if it's cool, but – even five years on, there's still things that I'm learning to do all over again. So uh-huh. even using hair scrunchies, like I just figured out how to do that a, a couple of months ago. And I was uh-huh. like, Michael, like, look what I can do now. How awesome is this? Uh-huh. It's weird because it's, it's so simple, but right. I think we're always reminded not to take those things for granted. Yeah. yeah. Well, beyond the the kind of dexterity with your hands yeah. and and the you know kind of atrophy of the muscles that you had to combat and the you know sort of tensile strength of yeah. your skin and all of that is there 
<clears throat> like internal organ damage that no, you have to deal with or all of no, that is like all okay? No, it's all fine internally. Uh-huh. The one thing about being burnt is you can't regulate your body temperature. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a big deal in Ironman, oh, especially yeah. in Kona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kona was so hard. Right, because you're sweat. You're not, you don't yeah, you sweat can't the same sweat. way, so, right? Uh, that, uh, that's what the main one of the functions of your skin is you know if you're if you're hot you sweat to cool yourself down mm-hmm. i don't sweat on 65 percent of my body so i get that's a problem yeah that is a problem <laughs> as an endurance athlete yeah. as any kind of athlete yeah 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 wow but all like this is how i looked at it too yeah it's a problem but i had to be creative enough and imaginative enough to think of solutions. So what are the solutions to that? So for example, in Ironman, it was really simple. Each aid station, I'd stop, pour water over myself, douse myself with cold water. Mm-hmm. And that took made, made the race take longer because mm-hmm. I had to continually stop. I wore a heart rate monitor so I could monitor my heart rate. And if there was a, if it Spike. started going too high, I would know that I'd just have to slow down and back off the pace. Right. So those things, compromise my athletic abilities but it still does mean that i can do them Mm -hmm. so instead of saying well i can't do endurance events i've been burnt Mm -hmm. can't do it i just saw it as my i guess my job to you know try and think of solutions and that's one i would have not thought of but that's probably the biggest limiter that was a bit well the swim was really hard yeah because you know your hand is your paddle Uh uh-huh my hands are a, a lot smaller right so that was it's like you know when you do swimming drills with fists yeah yeah a bit like that yeah so that was hard the bike was hard because you know going up a hill i I can't get out of my saddle Uh uh-huh so that and also you have a very tenuous grip on the handlebars right yeah yeah dangerous so if i go too fast i'm like okay just slow down teria you're not trying to break the land speed record right like that descent from javi yeah, yeah. I was into just into Kauai High with the winds, the yeah, sideways yeah. It winds was crazy. had to be really yeah, scary. Yeah. But I thought, like I did the exercise, what's the worst thing that can happen? I wrote it down, like the worst thing that could happen on that descent was that I got picked up by the wind and thrown into the the mm-hmm. rock cutting. Might have meant that I would maybe break a bone, maybe not be able to finish the race. It's not much of an disincentive mm-hmm. to not try yeah and you didn't fall no i didn't fall but i was i was riding like a grandma yeah like i was pretty cautious you would have to i mean it's yeah. it's even for the most experienced riders yeah. it's hair raising well also as well i'm not a cyclist i haven't mm-hmm. i haven't touched my well bike. actually you are a cyclist because you, you <laughs> you've done two iron mans so you I can love, you can I, own that i haven't touched my bike since kona uh-huh it's like still That's in the okay. garage with the number on it and everything. <laughs> That's all right. So, did you have do- were did you have doctors that were supportive or telling you like this is dangerous or did were they constructively trying to help you come up with these solutions or were you just doing your Not really my doctors because they they're pretty busy. They've got mm-hmm. burns patients coming coming out you of it. Can't their, be bothered with your Iron Man. There is. I like look, if you want to go do something stupid and crazy, knock <laughs> we yourself can't out. Stop you. Knock yourself out, Terry. We know we uh-huh. can't stop you. One of my doctors was so annoying, he was always on at me to put on weight. And I was, you know, I was arguing with him because I was like, I'm, in, I'm training for an Ironman. Like, I can't actually put on weight at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he was a little bit annoying. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking right. about. Um, but 
also they don't they didn't really care at hospital they were just yeah. like whatever so 15 months and you go to Ironman Australia yeah and you you know tow the starting line yeah I was freaking out make it through like, what's, like what's the hardest part that you had yeah like it had the, to be oh is- the hardest part of that whole day was waiting to start yeah it's like with anything you know like when you're nervous or anxious before you do a presentation or whatever that that period before you're actually about to start is the worst. Uh-huh. But yeah. you put the training in. Did you go in confident that you were going to be able to Look, my, my coach it? was there on the day. He came with me and he's a really, really beautiful man. Um, he was really helpful for me throughout the whole process. And he just said, look, you've done the work. You're not trying to break any records. Just go out and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got all day. You got all day, yeah. And like 500 meters into the swim, I just thought, oh, You've got this in the bag, like mm. you'll be able to do this, which was not my experience in Kona. Mm. So, so all right. Well, I want to get to that. So, but so you you basically cruise through this Ironman. Well, not I say <laughs> like, cruise, yeah. like it's a walk in the park. You had it in the bag. Yeah, like there was uh-huh. some tough points for sure, but the whole day I was just frothing out because I was finally doing something which I'd trained yeah so hard for. And you got it done. You did like 13, 14 I did 13 hours, and 13 and a half hours. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so I was pretty proud of myself. That's incredible. And so Kona, how does Kona come into the picture after that? Did you? So, were you always thinking like, if I do this, I'm I'm gonna find, yeah, figure look, out how to get to look, Kona? You, I tell people that I that I wasn't, and I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I got invited to Kona. What a big surprise! Mm-hmm. But that was I, the plan all along. I was telling my team, I was like, I want to get to Kona. Like, you have to, <coughs> you have to make this happen. Like, mm-hmm. I want to. You know, I really want to do Kona. So we get to Hawaii. It's out of this, out of the, out of this world hot. You know, the temperatures over there are insane. It was like we landed. Yeah. It was like being in a microwave. And I straight away started to think, okay, you've probably bitten off more than you can chew here, just because of the the heat, the heat. and the conditions. It's so windy. Um, Michael came on a few training rides with me. No, don't want to say anything. Yeah. Uh, but you're starting to second guess, like whether this might really be a little bit too much. Really starting to second guess myself, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, I and didn't... just knowing that even like, you know, when you hear Chris McCormick talk about how he could not figure out how to get his hydration sorted out, you know, yeah. because of the heat, like it fells even the best of the best. Yeah, and so that whole day from about halfway through the swim – you know, halfway through the th- swim, I was throwing up on my bike. I couldn't keep any of my fluids down or mm. any of my food. And as I was riding back into town, I was just in a really delirious, incoherent state. Mm. On the run course, halfway through the run, I was asking volunteers to take off my helmet. Did you? Wow. So. So you were super out of it. I was out of it, yeah. You weren't able to ki- keep anything down throughout? Obviously like, I was. Right, I was able but you're to, still having stomach kept, issues the entire time. Yeah, I kept throwing up. I think that was because of the heat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your body's ability to absorb those things is completely yeah. different. And if you're not able to, you know, cool your body temp down through through yeah. perspiration, well, like you're a, just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. That was another thing. When I came back from that descent, they actually ran out of water at the aid stations. Hmm. 
And that was part of my heat oh my God. management plan. Yeah, and all the wind, like from that descent, is you're not getting the relief of the cooling. No, of the, you, the right because you're not you don't have the, the cold, sweat. It, yeah, the air against the sweat. That's what cools you down. Right. Yeah. And you don't you don't get to have that experience. No. And then I, I get to an aid station. I ask for water, and they're like, "Oh man, we don't." How have do they it. not have water? It's the Ironman World Championships. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, look, I was probably a lot slower than most of the people. You weren't that much slow. Listen, there are people coming in at you know yeah. midnight all the time. Well, I, so. I think I think for most competitors, they'd say, "Okay, no worries. I'll have a Gatorade or whatever." Right. But I was you using the water, water to cool myself down, mm-hmm. which was a lot, you know, large right. difference between me and the other right. competitors. And so when we got to the bottom of the descent, I saw a police officer and I stopped him and I said, man, I need water. And he ran to his car. He gave me like three mm. bottles of super cold water. That's cool. Yeah. But that you, had was to, really you nice. had to find a cop to yeah, do that. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Wow, that's amazing. Well, the other thing I think people that have not been to Kona don't, don't realize well, people is- think it's just like Hawaii. Like it's- I mean, so I've been to Hawaii. It's not that hot. And they watch the Ironman World Championships on television, and it all looks super fun and awesome and beautiful oh, and all fun. that. And and that Queen K just goes on forever. Like, uh, it is the least, like, after a while, like, you're like, I get it. The scenery doesn't change, you know, for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, and so there's it, no support. <laughs> the majority of the day, you're by yourself. Even that when, I didn't know. Is that true? Wow. Yeah, and when mm. you're running out to the energy lab, it's just you. Mm-hmm. There is no one on the there is no right. one on the sidelines screaming. That was the thing about Australia. There were so many supporters, and there were so many people screaming my name. And I felt like, you know, I was I yeah. was doing it for everyone. There was no one. You're just on your own. On my own. And you're in the asking dark. people to take your helmet off when you're running. Yeah, and I was running in the dark, thinking you're an idiot, Taria. Why do you do these things to yourself? Uh huh. Just berating myself. So how did you how probably, did you get it done? How did well, you overcome all that? Being in that mindset definitely did not help me. So being in that really negative state of you're an idiot, this is stupid, that didn't help me. I tried to use gratitude to think of things that I was grateful for, and that didn't work because mm-hmm. I was like, well, why, should, why would I be grateful I'm on this stupid course <laughs> and this bloody hard and I'm all by myself? And so I just uh, mentally broke it up. I just took it. Um, on the run, aid station by aid station, so mm-hmm. each two kilometers. Just break it down into its tiniest components. Tiniest, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also it helps to, in my experience, um, to understand like when you're entertaining those thoughts that they're just, they're just thoughts. thoughts. Like yeah. that you can disassociate with your thinking mind and understand that you can become, if you can become the observer of those thoughts, then yeah. you have a choice to entertain yeah. them and allow them to impact exactly. you. or or to try to get the upper hand and, and dismiss yeah. them. You know? So I probably should have done more mental training because when you're hard, it's when you sorry when you're tired, it's really hard to think those sorts of mm-hmm. things. And you know, you train so much that you just you're an autopilot. But I didn't do as much training for my brain, right? Which, if I ever did Kona again. I would definitely do. Uh-huh. So you're not making an official announcement about that. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to <laughs> do Kona again. You I don't. don't that was no, it. I don't want to do it again. So, but you ended up finishing in like 14 yeah. plus, right? So you yeah. weren't even that much slower than you were in in for the. Your I was first an hour one. hour slower. All right, but you know slower. when you consider the wind and the heat and all of that, like yeah, I mean, I was way more proud of myself after Kona uh-huh. because. Throughout the whole day, I just wanted to quit. 
throughout the whole day I was so uncomfortable I just thought I just I want someone to run me over with a car so I don't have to do this race I don't want to be here and I I just found it in me to keep taking that next step did you were you still doing it for yourself or were you able to kind of tap into the strength of understanding like I'm carrying a message for other people and I can allow that to like you know yeah for sure there was a lot of reflection there like I thought a lot about the donors who ultimately saved my life and I thought uh, a lot about Interplast and all the work that they do and thought a lot about Michael my family Mm -hmm. and my mom and I thought this is I want my mom to know that I'm okay, that she doesn't need to worry about me anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's it's you know it's easy to for someone like myself or somebody who comes across your story to just imagine it's about you and you're the one who's had to endure and suffer this. But everybody that is in your life has had to you know, sure. participate in, yeah. in this with you. It's very much a, a group kind of. And I think. Thing. In some parts, it's been almost harder for them because, you know, being the person who's injured, you get all of the the sympathy and the, the attention and everything's about you. And it's really traumatic for us to see people that we love in pain. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd give, your, you'd give anything not to have someone that you love in pain. And so when you reflect on your story and the things that you've been able to achieve, you know, in light of being told you, you know, may never walk again, you know, what is the, what is the message that you want people to hear from you? Like, what is it that you want people to get from you and your story? I think it's just that if they understand their mindset and they use it to their advantage, they can do absolutely anything. But the one thing that I'm most proud of is that, I'm way, my relationships with Michael and my family and friends are so much deeper and so much closer. Mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful. And Michael, what ha- what has, you know, what has been the impact of you seeing Taria conquer these events? Like what is the impact of that on how you kind of perceive your own, you know, goals for your life mm. and how you live on a daily basis? Or maybe it hasn't at all. I don't know. No, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... It has. Um, it's obviously made me a lot more empathetic for people who go through um, accidents. Whereas before, I didn't. Really, I thought we were invincible, and you know, it doesn't ever happen to you, and it has. And mm-hmm. we've lived through it, and so yeah, I'm a lot more passionate about seeing people recover and sort of seeing them be happy again. So to see Taria happy, and that makes me happy. And it's very simple. Like it's it's hard to sort of talk about, but. When you see someone that you love in such despair and you know on their deathbed and then you see them happy and laughing again that's just that melts your heart it makes you really mm-hmm. happy and you know you feel invincible again and life you know yeah. is there to be lived again so that's what we're doing and sometimes i get a bit of a kick up the ass from Teresa because all the things she's doing i feel a bit lazy but uh-huh. you know <laughs> we're both fit and healthy and that's all i could ask for and you know we're, we're living life to its to the full at the moment yeah that's beautiful so Teresa. You know, a lot of people look, you know, derive strength from your story. They look at you and they say, look at what she's done. If she's done that, then I, I need to rethink this, this yeah. or I can look at this thing differently. So who do you look to for that kind of inspiration? Like, do you have mentors or people that have inspired you in that kind of way? 
I think if you're using the just one person as your entire source of inspiration, you might be a little disappointed. Um, so during my recovery, I read a book by Sam Bailey. He's a farmer who had a car crash, he became a quadriplegic, and now he flies helicopters. Mm. And when I read that book, I thought this guy has hasn't let what happened to him define him. So I found that really inspirational. Um, and I, I really love TED Talks. Mm-hmm. So whenever I feel a bit flat, I watch like a quick 10-minute TED Talk. What's your favorite TED Talk? Um, my favorite one. Have you watched the one about orgasms? I don't think so. It's, no, it's, I think I would remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good. All right. And there was a TED Talk. I forgot who it's by, but he doesn't speak for like 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so there's just crazy people that have done interesting things outside the box yeah outside the box yeah right and you did uh we were talking before the podcast you did uh tony robbins date with destiny right tony robbins so and julie was like did you walk on the coals well look a a lot of people bag out tony robbins especially here in australia really oh yeah they make fun of him he's amazing well i mean like Australians aren't really comfortable with a big American bloke saying, you know, you can change your life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sit well with a lot of Australians for sure. He has so many Australian fans because his his seminars always sell out. So I love Tony Robbins. He's extremely, I wouldn't say inspiring, but whenever I go to one of his conferences, I get a real kick up the ass mm-hmm. to, to become more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I did the... I went to his UPW. The organizers were like, oh, we want you to walk on fire so we can get photos or whatever. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. And then as the conference went on, I started, you know how when you're really scared of something, you also know that it would be really good for you at the same time? Yeah, a way of revisiting it to perhaps ultimately overcome and like transcend the you know, the post-traumatic stress that has to be associated with yeah, you enduring sure. that experience. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I did, I went straight after Tony. So he did his like, you know, make your move. Right, My, like it, perhaps most of anybody there, like it, it was most important that you of anybody do it. Like I would look at it like that. Like you're the one person, everybody here who's at Date With Destiny, don't worry about walking on coals, but Taria like, that's perhaps maybe a really important thing for you to do so that you can do that and be on the other side of it. Like, yeah. do you see it that way or? Well, I also, I think sometimes we can build things up in our mind to be scarier than what they are. So Tony Robbins, have you been to UPW? No, Julie has though. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's a fan, hey. Mm, yeah. So like he's got the, the coals on the screen, he's got the crackle of the fire. It was all really sadistic, oh, yeah. sadistic that, stuff, right. man. And I was, I was so uncomfortable. And I, you know, I was like, I don't know why I'm here. This is, I don't think this is for me. But then I followed Tony. We went outside. There was a huge fire pit full of coals. It was about ten meters long, and I thought that was what we did the fire walk over. Mm. And then we went around the corner. There was this tiny little two meter long, sparsely covered. Right walkways of coals and i thought yeah i can do that i could do- <laughs> i could do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you did it i did it so when you look back on this whole experience now and you know what you endured and, and kind of where you're sitting now yeah. like what is the you know how do you how do you like 
conceptualize it? Like, how do you bring words to like what it means to you and how it informs how you, you know, do what you do and work with the people that you work with? I think it's really taught me that life is too short not to take risks and try new things and believe in ourselves and just have a crack, have a go. I was like that before the fire, but I reckon even more so now. Mm And just, you know, that life is so precious. And so we also have to enjoy it. You know, we've got to spend time with our family and friends and do what makes us happy and mess around with our mates as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a deep insight that you were hoping for. No, I mean, I I get it. You know, I mean, I think it's, I think it's honest. You know, I think that, that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any like amazing. No, but I I think I'm trying to, it's sort of like, you're living your life. This thing happened and, you know, you have to reckon with it. Um, but now you're sitting here with me and you have the opportunity to go and get in front of groups of people and share, yeah. share your story. And story is very powerful. Storytelling right? is the most basic. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that have suffered things akin to what you have suffered. But mm. there's a lot more people that suffer a much kind of like lower grade yeah. continual version of suffering where they're just sort of dissatisfied with their lives and they feel trapped or they feel unfulfilled or they're in yeah. relationships that aren't serving them or they're in careers that f- they feel unfulfilled in or what have yeah. you. So how do you connect with that person? I think the only way you can make a difference to someone's life, because I can get out there on the stage, I can pump everyone up, I can do my motivation, whatever, but if someone isn't willing to to make the change in their life and do the work, doesn't matter. I can't help them. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got to be willing. They've got to a recognize that they're in control of their own lives, and b say, yeah, I want to put in the yards and I want to I want to improve my life and I want to have more fulfillment and I want a better relationship and I want you know. But I also think it comes back to reflecting on what we do have in our lives because it's very easy for us to become dissatisfied that we don't have x or y or someone's been mean and this isn't working out and my life isn't how it's supposed to be and i think everyone's got problems we all do and i think if you want a life without problems what's that saying if you want a life without problems go to the cemetery oh is that what it is yeah there's, yeah. A, there's a saying like i think we've all got problems we've all got minor little dramas throughout the day and i think if you just accept that as part of the journey that is life instead of thinking that there's mm-hmm. something wrong with your life and you shouldn't have any problems or suffering at all. Mm-hmm. Don't and, have to- and if there's something amiss in your life, awry, like you have to take responsibility for it and take the actions to change it as yeah, opposed or- to putting that on somebody else and then giving them excuses as to why that's not going to work. Yeah, use my dad's advice. Right. No whinging. <laughs> I think I just found the, uh, the title to this podcast episode. <laughs> no whinging. How do you spell that? Whinging, oh, yeah. W-H-I-N-G, uh-huh. I-N-G. I gotcha. So, yeah. Cool. It's well, a colloquialism. I-, <laughs> I think that's a good place to uh, yep. to wrap it up. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, man. You are uh, an inspiration and a beautiful example of um, empowerment, especially in a culture um, that uh, is too quick to celebrate women who... Um, perhaps I, I would not be so keen for my daughters to aspire to, yeah. you know, and, and I say this all the time, but I think it, it, it's worth repeating that 
you know, people say, where are all the female role models? Where are all the inspirational women? And, and I always say they're all around us, but we just don't do a good enough job of shining a light on them and celebrating yeah. them. And so I appreciate what you're doing. And it's an honor and a privilege to put a microphone in front of you to help share your message. And I wish you all the best in your impending wedding and marriage and all the amazing things yeah. that you are, uh, no doubt going to be doing. Do you have a ch another challenge or what is, what's on the horizon for you other than tying the knot? Look, we want to have a family. So that'll be, a, I don't know what that will be like actually. <laughs> You'll know when it <laughs> Maybe happens. Maybe I'll have kids and I'll think, oh yeah. shit, I don't want these. <laughs> Probably not. Um, and just, I've been really busy with Iron Man and everything. And so I just mm -hmm. want to, take some time to obviously work and do seminars and coaching right. but also just spend time with my family and friends yeah awesome yeah so if you're digging on Taria, the best place to connect with her tariapit.com and at tariapit on all the social media places that we all go to right <laughs> and yeah. uh are you giving any talks coming up soon or is that, that's all on your website i would presume yeah People it's all on my website meet, see you in person yeah Cool. Oh, actually, I've got an ebook, Mindset Magic. Oh, okay. People can get. It's really good. It's got some of the strategies that we talked about uh -huh. today, such as reframing and things like that. Awesome. And you can get that on your website. Yeah, get that on my website. All right. Thank yep. you. No worries. That was delightful. Legend. Peace. Lance. You're a good interviewer. <laughs> Thanks. All right. We did it. What'd you guys think? Are you feeling grateful? Did you dig it? I hope you dug it. I really enjoyed her uh, and Michael as well. They're just they're they're very genuine, really really cool people. Um, and thanks for listening. Please share your thoughts with me and with Taria. You can find her at on Twitter at Twitter <laughs> at Taria Pitt two T's. Uh, pick up her new book Unmasked, which again I think is only on sale in Australia. But you can also find her other book, her first book, Everything to Live For. Uh, and that's on Amazon. Use the Amazon banner ad at ritual.com to do that. I'd appreciate that. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Plant Power Ireland is coming up soon, July 24th through 31st. 30, 24 through 31. Uh, it's at this beautiful uh, manor home called Bally Villain. It's like this James Bond-like setting on 90 acres in the Irish countryside. Just imagine in your mind what, what an Irish manor looks like. And this is like right out of... Uh, like a textbook version of that complete with the couple that owns it and runs it. You know, the guy's got the tweed jacket and the vintage Land Rover and the Labrador. Anyway, it's going to be amazing. Seven days of transformation with Julie and I, uh, as well as special appearances by the happy pair lads, which I'm really excited about. We're going to cook. We're going to eat. We're going to run. We're going to meditate. We're going to do tea ceremony. We're going to do intensive workshops on everything from creativity to relationships we have Ayurvedic treatments. We have glamping tents. It's going to be intense, but it's also going to be super fun. The whole thing is designed to really help you unlock your best, most authentic self uh, and to really transform your life wholesale. So if that sounds cool to you, this sounds like something you would be into. You can find out more information at ourplantpowerworld.com, ourplantpowerworld.com. Uh, if you'd like to support this show and my work, there's a couple simple ways to do it. The first way is to share it with your friends and on social media. Simple dimple, right? Uh, leave a review on iTunes. I put the call out the other day. I was at 1,999 reviews and I was like, I just need one more to get 2,000. Put it out on social media and now I have like almost 2,100. So I appreciate everybody who finally pulled the trigger and did that. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Uh, while you're at it, subscribe on iTunes. Very important. 
and when you're going to buy something on Amazon, please make a habit of using the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com or just typing in richworld.com forward slash Amazon, which will take you to the same place. Buy whatever you're going to buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but uh, Amazon supports our show with some commissions on your purchases, which is really uh, great because you don't have to go out of pocket, but you are supporting what we're doing and everybody wins through that. Also, we have a Patreon set up uh, for people that want to sponsor the show financially. And I just want to thank everybody who has, uh, who has done that. I really appreciate that. If you would like to receive a free short weekly email from me, I send one out every Thursday. It's called Roll Call. Five or six tips, tools, resources, things I've stumbled across, come across over the course of the week, usually a couple articles, maybe a podcast I listened to, a documentary I watched, a product I'm enjoying, no spam, no affiliate links. Uh, it's really just my way of sharing with you guys things that have been beneficial in my life that uh, I think might be uh, beneficial in yours. That's it. Uh, so you can subscri subscribe. You can subscribe to that in multiple locations on my website, wherever you put in your email. Uh, also, while you're there, um, we got signed copies of Finding Ultron, Plant Power Away. We got cool T-shirts. Also, uh, I want to tease you guys with this one thing. We're building out some additional functionality on the website that is going to be a huge value add for you guys. We're working really hard behind the scenes on a very exciting new project that we're going to be launching on the website coming up in, I don't know exactly the date, next couple of weeks. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that right now, but uh, I'm just chomping at the bit to tell you guys about it because it is super exciting and I think you guys are going to really benefit from it. Um, it's going to make the site a lot more robust and with a lot, uh, a lot of um, just additional uh, depth to help you guys uh, take your life to the next level. Okay, so I want to thank today's sponsors, Bowling Branch, the first honest and transparent betting company uh, that only uses sustainable and responsible methods of sourcing and manufacturing. Go to bowlingbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets by typing in the promo code RICHROLL. And also Casper, the number one online retailer of premium mattresses at a fraction of the price. Get $50 towards any mattress purchased today by visiting casper.com forward slash roll and using promo code roll at checkout. Uh, thanks to everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo, audio engineering and production and show notes and behind the scenes help on the WordPress page, all that kind of stuff. Sean Patterson for his genius work on all the graphics and the motion graphics that we're sharing on Instagram and theme music by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. I uh, appreciate you listening. I know that there is a lot of competition out there for your attention and to kind of ask you guys to spend, you know, 90 minutes, two hours with me every week. That's a huge ask. And the fact that you guys are uh, are tuning in, are listening, are subscribing and listening all the way to the end like this, that's amazing. So I love you guys. I appreciate you. I do not take you for granted. Uh, and every week I try my best to bring you uh, the very best content that I possibly can. So just know that, and I will see you guys back here soon. Peace. Plants. Yeah.